So I turned 52 a couple of weeks ago, and um, it's kind of like the Goldilocks age. Like, so for some of you who are older, you're thinking that's really young. For some of you who are younger, you're thinking that's really old. And for the most of us, we're kind of thinking, or some of us, we're thinking that's just right, right? So it's just in that 50 age where you somewhat have some credibility and uh, whatever. But it's interesting. I've learned some things um, at, that I was told when I was younger that, that I've discovered aren't true. Um, yeah, yeah, you know those things that we were told when we were younger that you thought, they didn't lie to you, at least they didn't tell you they were lying to you, they just weren't exactly true. Like my teachers, how many, how many, how many teachers that used to always tell you, listen, you're not going to have a calculator with you every day. Whoever, who has a calculator on them right now, right? Here we are in church, we all got calculated, right? That's just not true, right? Um, or how about this one? If you love what you do, you'll never work a day of your life. That's just not, listen, I love what I do, but there's some days it's work, right? That's just not true. And so I've just discovered after I'm going on actually 25 years this, this month, actually 25 years of being in ministry. And I thank God for that. Thank you. I, I can't see myself doing anything else. I love what I do, but there's some days it's work, man. So somebody lied to me and told me that if I love what I do, I'll never work a day in my life. Or here, here's one. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's so lame. You know, if at first you don't succeed and you try and try again, it doesn't work, stop. That might not be in your wheelhouse, right? Just let it go sometimes, right? That's just not true all the time, right? Or here's one. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. No, sometimes absence just creates distance and disconnect, and that's really not healthy. And so we need to avoid absence whenever we possibly can. It's just not, not true. Or here's one that's not true. A watched pot never boils. <laughs> I mean, you just endure long enough, that thing's going to boil eventually, right? Just things I was told that were true, or at least they told me, but I discovered aren't true. Here's one. That there's no such thing as stupid questions. <laughs> How many have heard, don't raise hands, like don't point them. How many have heard some stupid questions, right? Yeah, there are some questions that, how many have asked some stupid questions? I'm right there, right? So that's just not, not true. Here's one. Um, well, God helps those who help themselves. Uh, that's just, first off, it's not biblical, right? I, I couldn't help myself at all. Thank you, Jesus, that he came in and rescued me, right? Jesus is not a crutch in my life. He is a total stretcher. He has completely helped me, right? Or here's one. If you want something done right, yeah, you know, you do it yourself, that's just not true. You can't do everything, right? And so that's just a lie that we have were told when we were younger, that as we get older, we've discovered, or here's one, that the pen is mightier than the sword. I mean, if I'm going to fight you, Steve, right? And if I got a choice between a pen and a sword, I'm choosing the sword, right? I, I don't care. It's just not necessarily true. Here's one that kind of goes in line with what I want to talk to you today about. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Isn't that a lie? How many would have preferred the sticks and stones sometimes? How many both got the sticks, stones, and words, right? You tell that to a person at the earliest of age, 
that they're ugly. And you can have a young person that grows into adulthood feeling like they're the ugliest person in the room all the time. Those words go deep, that they're stupid, that they're dumb, that they're fat, that they're an accident, that they were unwanted. You fill in the blank, but we, have all, we all know that those words cause wounds. Sticks and stones will cause wounds, but eventually they'll heal. But words cut deep, and they can last a lifetime. The opposite is true as well, though. Words have the ability to, to bring life and encouragement. You get a young person, and, and you, you instill it in them at the earliest of age that they're valuable, that they're loved, that they're accepted, that they're, that they're complete, that they're whole. They're going to walk into this life feeling the affirmation that is necessary. Words are, are really powerful, and it's that that I want to talk to you about this morning. The title of my message is this, Your Untapped Potential. Your Untapped Potential. Do you know that you have the power to build somebody up or to tear somebody down? You have the power to encourage or to discourage. To build somebody up or to blow somebody up. You have the power to speak words of life. We have the power to speak words of death. That's what the writer of Proverbs tells us. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And look, he says, and those who love it will eat its fruits. I like that. The death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who employ those words, those who, are, who recognize the power of words and use them, whether towards life or to death, will eat of those fruits. Fruits leading to death or fruits leading to life. You know, oftentimes when that scripture is pulled out, the focus of the conversation is on words that tear down. It's a great passage to discuss when we're talking about the subject of, of gossip. However, this morning, I want to highlight the destructiveness of gossip by elevating the power and purpose of speaking life into one another. I don't want to focus on the destructiveness of gossip. I want to shed light on the power of what we can be when we allow God the Holy Spirit to use us in the life of one another. Let's shed light to, to expose the darkness and walk in what God has designed for us to walk. You see, there's a purpose. There's a, there's a design, there's a plan for how we are to relate to one another. And when we, when we don't do that, we're not, we're not tapping into a powerful potential that God has placed in our redeemed nature. And this untapped potential ties directly to our understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus. Recognizing who we are. I love the song we sang this morning, so appropriately. I am chosen, right? In my Father's house, there's a place for me. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the, the new has come. We're not what we were. Sometimes we need to have the rare air conversation. 
The fact that you're rare air, that you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, you're not what you were. That God has called you, that God has, has, has brought you to himself, that he's washed you in the blood of Jesus Christ, and he calls you his son and his, and his daughter. The spirit of God resides within you, and you are not common. Paul says, speaking of it in, 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 this, in this passage, look, he says, old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, that, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. Look, ready? And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Do you, do you see what Paul is highlighting here? Do you see how we are indeed co-laborers with Jesus Christ? How does God appeal to the world through us? There's not the big audible voice coming out of the sky, right? It's not, they're not getting emails from God. You and I have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation and God is allowing us, enabling us, calling us his ambassadors. We represent a country, a heavenly country, and God is making his appeal through us. Don't miss the, 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 the influence that God has given you in the world around us. You are his ambassadors. You, you speak for the Almighty. That's why, I call, that's why I call this your untapped potential because sometimes we don't realize. Sometimes we think we're common. Sometimes we just, we get so caught up in thinking that we're, we're that, that, uh, we get caught up with our inabilities and our shortcomings and our insecurities and our weaknesses that we fail to remember the uniqueness of who you are because God has made you and called you his own. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples in, in John chapter 14, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, right? This is Jesus speaking to his disciples before he leaves. He's referring to the Holy Spirit who's going to come upon the earth after Jesus departs, after the ascension. And he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But look, you know him for he dwells with you. Look, and he will be in you. He will be in you. Please don't let the, your awareness of that cause you to just say, yeah, I know that. Allow that to land in ways that like, like you've just heard it for the first time. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells within you. Not because you or I deserve it, but because Christ went to the cross and he embraced us and calls us his own. And now God, the Holy Spirit, has come into our hearts and is part and invited us to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. 
to be his ambassadors. You see, the disciples knew what it was to walk with the Son of God. But this was going to be different. All things have changed now. No longer would they be walking with God like they did as Jesus was on the earth. But this other one that was to come, God, the Holy Spirit, would not walk among them, but he would walk within him. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit would come upon select people at certain times for a specific task. But now under the new covenant, God, the Holy Spirit, resides within you. Do you know how hard the enemy tries to, to twist that truth and to deceive you from realizing who you are in Christ Jesus? He tries so hard to minimize who you are. God, the Holy Spirit, is within you. And the words of our mouth ought to reflect the one who abides in us. You see, I, I say that, and right away, I guarantee if I ask you to raise your hand, how many, many would say that that sounds like, oh no, that's negative. No. I, 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 I want to spin the wind here. That's positive. That's extremely positive. That God wants us, that our mouth ought to reflect the one who abides within us. Our untapped potential is the ability to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to speak through us. Listen, I'm not suggesting for one second that there's any of God, that, that we are not God in any way, but the surrendered life allows God, the Holy Spirit, to influence us in such a way that we can speak words of life as if it was coming from God himself to his people. Untapped potential. It lies within us. This ability to have God reveal his heart and his words to others through us. God, as Paul says, appealing to people through us. The greatest purpose for the church Gathering together is not just to sing some worship songs as much as I enjoy doing that. It's not just to sit under the teaching and preaching of the word as much as I love to do that. The scripture calls us to come together because when the body of Christ comes together, people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we begin to speak the word of God to each other. That's why the writer of Hebrews says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is. Why? Because when we come together, there's a unity that's present. There's a power that's present that you just can't get on your own. God has designed us in such a way that we're better together. We've all had those times in our lives where we've been discouraged. Those times in our life where, where we're tired, where we feel attacked on, on every side, and God sends somebody at the right time, with the right word, at the right moment, and they speak something to us, and it just it brings life, it brings encouragement, it brings hope, it takes us out of the darkness that we feel like we're in, and it brings us into the light. That's the power, that's the potential that God has placed within each and every one of us to speak life to each other. Listen, this may not be your reality, but, 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 but I don't hear the audible voice of God. God will speak to me through his word 
He will impress things upon my heart, but oftentimes, more often than not, God will confirm what he's saying to my heart through the mouths of other people. God will speak to me through his people, his people who have the Holy Spirit of God. Do you see the potential that we have in the lives of one another? That's why the enemy tries so hard to divide you, to discourage you, to disappoint you, to distract you. He tries so hard to keep you from one another because somebody might come and speak the very word that you need to hear and get you walking right in the direction that God wants you to walk. God has has designed the church in such a way that we're to build one another up, comfort one another, care for one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, correct one another, validate one another. In other words, we're to be an extension of what God would say and do to one another. Because God is not going to come back in human form. Instead, he resides within his redeemed people. And he calls us to be together. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the difference. That's the change that took place. And when Christ lives in me, he says, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've got the Spirit of God within me, and so do you. And I've got this ability now through the Spirit of God to speak words of life and encouragement. And we've all had that opportunity when you've got a chance to say something to somebody and you just see the lights go on and the, and the, 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 the frown disappears and the hope is, 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 is reintroduced and it's just like, wow, you walk away going, God, thank you that I got to be a part of what you're doing in my brother or my sister's life. This is what the church is meant to do and be to one another. What it would look like what would it look like if, if every one of us made it, made it a priority to speak life towards one another? I mean, could you imagine the healing that would take place, the encouragement that would take place? Imagine going to church and saying, today... I am going to find somebody and I'm going to build them up. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to be the voice of God in their life today. You'll walk away far more blessed than what you hear up here because you'll be able to be used by God to bless other people, do you, do you believe that God wants each of us to experience that? He's equipped us. He's indeed designed us to be the ones to speak on his behalf. 
We see a great example of this in the ministry of Paul. I mean, Paul was one of those guys that you look and say, man, he had no, like, Paul had it going on, right? Paul was, 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 was the, the trophy, the, the, the poster child of, of what we all want to aspire to, right? And, and yet Paul knew what it was to go through times of hardship. And Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, he, 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 lets, he reminds them that he's been going through difficult times. He says in verse, of chapter 7 and verse 5, he says, For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Can, let's, let's just pause right there for a moment. How many can identify with that? Let's just go back and just, just not read through it. Let's read it, right? Look what he says here. Our bodies had no rest. I was tired. Right? We all know that. Our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every, time, at every turn, fighting without and fear within. We all know that story. Some of us have a PhD in that story. We just feel like, when is it ever going to stop? Our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But look, he says, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he has, was comforted by you. Do you see how God comforted Paul? He said, I was downcast, we had no rest, I was afflicted, but God comforted us. God didn't step out of eternity and into time and give a big hug to Paul. No, God met Paul where he's at through the coming of Titus. But God who comforts the downcast. You know what Paul didn't say? Paul didn't say, and Titus, who comforts the downcast. Nope. Titus was just the one sent on a mission from God to comfort the Apostle Paul. I don't know about you, but I want to be that guy. I want to be the one to be able to just be sent by God to encourage your brother, to encourage a sister who's in that place of his life. God is looking for people who are willing to say, God, I'll go. I'll be willing. Lord, use my voice. Fill my mouth. If, if, if you're willing, God will fill your mouth. Not because, because God wants to get the message across. God wants to appeal through you and I. Let's take a, pick, a look at another passage that, that Paul wrote to the, to the church of Corinth. This is certainly going to bring up some conversation, but this is an important one to kind of look at here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts. He's talking about that in, in 14 and 12. He touches a little bit on, 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 on 15. 13, he kind of puts everything in perspective. Everything needs to flow out of love. He lays out for us what love looks like. It's a really wonderful passage of Scripture. But he, he highlights something very interesting that I think we would do well to, to, to learn from here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says this, in verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. 
but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. What is Paul saying here? Now, I don't know what your experience is. I don't know what kind of church it came out of. Everybody's got different opinions as to what this looks like. So let me give you an idea what I believe prophecy is today. Prophecy is not akin to what Isaiah and Daniel and the prophets of old were doing. What prophecy is today is God speaking a right now word from from the word of God and meets an immediate need in a timely fashion. It's when God allows us to speak a timely word to a person. For instance, I always use this example. There's passage of scripture. We'll use um, Psalm 23, right? Where, where, where David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And, and you've read that at times. And you looked and said, oh, that's a really encouraging. God is my shepherd. But then there's times in your life where, where you find yourself just like Paul said, downcast and, and, and feeling disconnected. And you're wondering, God, do you really care? Maybe you've even said, God, I feel like a lost sheep. And then in walks somebody, a brother or a sister who said yes to God, I'll be willing to be used by you. And they come up to say, listen, I just felt like the Lord wanted to share this with you. The Lord is your shepherd. And you go, had you, you had no idea how much I needed to hear that right now. I've heard it before, but you've taken something I knew and you brought it to the present and it met an immediate need and it brought life. That is New Testament prophecy. And Paul is saying here to the church, desire above all things that you speak a timely word in season in the lives of people. Why? Because it builds up. Tongues, I believe, personally, I believe tongues are for today. Not everybody has the gift of tongues. Some people do, some people don't. It's not a badge of honor. But what Paul says here is, hey, I desire you all spoken tongues, but I, pre- I desire even more that you'd all prophesy because the one who speaks in tongues speaks to God, but the one who prophesies speaks to the body of Christ and all the gifts of the Spirit have one intention. It's to build up the body of Christ. That's why God places the spiritual gifts within the church. It's to build up, to build up, to build up. And we see the value of building one another up all throughout the scripture. God designed us in such a way that we have the privilege of of building one another up. And that's what we're called to do. That's how we're designed Larry Crabb, in his book, Connecting, says that the church is a healing community. That God has built into the church the ability to bring healing from those wounds that took place a long time ago. And, he, and, and, and I appreciated it. It was a long time ago since I read the book, but he, but he said basically what I'm doing, because he's a big counselor guy, and he said I'm basically con- committing professional suicide he said, because we, the, the, the church doesn't need counselors, it needs one another. And when the church is a healing community, when the church is willing to be, to be speaking life and encouragement to one another, we can be used by God. Now, if you're seeing a counselor, I'm not trying to distract you from doing that. There's times that you need to go, and I think that's an important piece. But, for, but, but in, the, in the big picture of things, the church is to be a healing community. That's the untapped potential 
that we have to be a healing community. God designed us in such a way that we have the privilege of building one another up. That's how we're called to live together. That's what we're, we're designed. That's how we're designed to operate. It's God's plan and purpose for the church. And like everything else that God creates, Satan tries to twist it and distort it. Instead of speaking words of life, Satan wants you to speak words of death. Why? Because it's contrary to how God designed you to live. That's his plan. His plan isn't to get you just to say something or hurt somebody. That's not the, the plan is to get you to live unlike you're designed to live. We have the potential of being influenced by God to build up and direct others or be influenced by the enemy to tear down and misdirect others. And what greater example than Peter, right? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he says to his disciples, hey, who do men say that I am? And so some of them, well, some of them say you're John the Baptist, some of you say you're one of the prophets that have come back, and then Jesus says, okay, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps up and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This wasn't something somebody taught you. He says, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And he says, I call you Peter. And it's upon this statement, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's like this, this big win in the box for Peter. Peter heard from the Father. He's influenced by the Father and he spoke truth at the moment. But not many moments after that, Matthew 16 goes on to say, Jesus began to continue to tell them with the things he was going to suffer and the way he would be handed over and crucified. And Peter said, not so, Lord. Never let it be said. And Jesus looked in Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. For you are a distraction to me. You are a hindrance to me. Wow, talk about going from hero to zero in one moment. We see here the ability that every one of us possesses to be influenced by God or to be influenced by the enemy. And I just want to be straight up honest with you. I've been used by both. And before you get up and leave the room, so have you, right? And so we need, we need to take captive every thought, as Paul talks about in, in Corinthians. We need, to, we need to make sure that we are living in such a way that our lives are surrendered to God and, and asking God to use us and be on guard in those moments. And when we do say the wrong thing, we go back and we say, ready, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? God has designed us, equipped us, and called us to be those who build up and not tear down. Don't miss the potential that you have it's part of our redeemed design that the enemy wants to pull that tool out of your belt. You gotta fight for that. That's why God speaks so clearly and consistently against those who sow discord amongst brethren. Proverbs chapter six and verse 16. The writer of Proverbs says these, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, those are eyes that just look down on people. 
haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and the seventh one, one who sows discord amongst brethren. Why does God hate that so much? It's more than just, it's just, it's more than just how, how it makes a person feel. God hates it because it's so contrary to how we are designed to live in Christian community. It's more than, oh, don't do that. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hurt, you're going to make somebody cry. No, 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 it, it's bigger than that. It, it is contrary to how we are designed to live in Christian community because Satan knows the power that exists when body of, the body of Christ speaks words of life and encouragement and blessing to one another. And he tries very, very hard to get in there. Speak words of life. If you've got questions, you ask you go to the right people. You, bring, right, you, you, don't, you don't have a blind eye to questions. You use discernment. But you don't go and ask 150 people about what they think about something before you go to the person that you're thinking about. Hello? Because when they explain it, then you've got to go, go back and try and fix those other 150 conversations. But the problem is those 150 conversations had 150 other conversations and there is no way you're ever going to put in motion, clarity, and the enemy knows that. The scripture likens us to a body, you know that. First Corinthians chapter 12, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says just as the, as the body is one, right, it has many parts, many members uh, to our body, so it is with the body of Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks and slaves and free. All were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. Because of that, Paul writes, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, then would that, not make, would that make him any less a part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make him any less a part of the body. What, what, is, what is Paul laying out here? the connection is obvious. Just how every part of your body is an intricate part of your, of your makeup, that if one area is, 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 um, has cancer, it's going to affect your whole body. Likewise, we are the body of Christ. One body. Mutually dependent upon one another and mutually important to one another. There's nobody who's expendable in the body of Christ. When each part of the body is thriving, when each part is cared for and nurtured, we, we call that health, right? I mean, like to walk in health, right? That's the way God designed the church to view each other. We value one another. We respect one another. We care for one another. We believe the best in one another. If we have questions, we go to one another. We put in motion what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, that, that chapter that defines what love looks like. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. We extend that to one another. 
and we squash the enemy's ability to divide and sow discord. Satan has been a divider from the beginning. He divided himself from God in heaven. He divided a third of the angels that gathered around the throne. He divided Adam and Eve from God. He divided Adam and Eve from each other. He divided their children, Cain and Abel. And all throughout the scripture and church history, we see that the goal of the enemy is to divide the people of God. In fact, as you read through the epistles, you'll, you'll see the enemy's hand at work in trying to divide the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. And we're going to, if you can listen to me while you are beginning to peel. I want to tie this into our communion this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just don't go the whole way yet. Because it might be a while. I don't want you to spill it on anybody. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. And this is a church in Corinth. Corinth is divided over many, many things. There's false teaching that's going on. There's sexual promiscuity that's going on. All forms of immorality that is existing in, within the church of Corinth. There is abuse of all kinds. Um, and that's just what's taking place in the church. Forget about in the city of Corinth. Um, that's just what's going on in the church. And all of that which is taking place is causing mass division, obviously, within the church. And Paul is writing to this church that he planted, this church that he loves, this church that God loves. But he's bringing correction to them. And I love, I love where Paul, where he directs this erring church. He doesn't, he doesn't point them to a therapy session. He doesn't call for an intervention. He points them to the cross. A call to remember who we are and how we got there. And it might appear that this passage of scripture that I'm about to read to you seems so disconnected from everything else that he's saying, but in fact, it ties in so beautifully. Because it is in, this, in the midst of this rebuke to the, first, to the, church, uh, to the church at Corinth in, in chapter 11 that Paul goes and points them to the cross. You see, the cross has a wonderful way of leveling, leveling the playing field for each and every one of us. We're all guilty. We're all deserving of death, but God, who's rich in mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We did not deserve that. And so it's in the midst of this letter to the church at Corinth where Paul's addressing the the immorality and the divisions and the fights and the arguing and all the things that, that Paul will say these words, for I received from the Lord 
but I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We've all heard that passage. We've used it. Oftentimes, you've heard that over this pulpit. Sometimes we don't realize the context in which Paul brought that sandwiched between those two things is a rebuke. It's a rebuke to the church. He says, for as often as you eat this, drink, this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He says, look, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What is he referring to here? What is this unworthy manner? So many times people think that, that that's referring to, you know, unbelievers coming into the sanctuary and partaking of the Lord's Supper. That's not what he's referring to. This passage of scripture is written not to unbelievers is written to the church. And he's saying to the church, hey, before you come and participate in, this, in the Lord's Supper, make sure your heart is right. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. He says, look, but look, let a person examine himself. And then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Here's the warning. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many are weak and ill, and some have even died. I didn't write this. This is what the word of God says. This is for the one who doesn't discern the Lord's body. But it's not hopeless. He says, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What is Paul saying to this church? He's saying, when you come to the table, remember that you were in a place where you were guilty, where you were under the condemnation of God. But the cross made a way for you to be reconciled. And the forgiveness that you have received freely, that same forgiveness needs to be extended freely. And in the context of what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he's talking about the lifestyles that were, living, that were being lived out inconsistent with their testimony. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't live and speak and act inconsistent with your testimony because you'll be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner and bringing judgment on yourself. But like everything else that God does, he doesn't just bring the warning, he brings the hope. And he says, therefore, let a man examine himself. Let a person examine himself. Before we, we go, I'm going to ask our worship team if you come and lead us. Before we just kind of jump right into communion, 
I want to give you an opportunity just to examine yourself. Lord, are there areas in my life that I've sinned against you? Willingly. Forgive me. Am I unwilling to extend forgiveness after having freely received forgiveness from you? I pray that after this service today that there are conversations that are had. Forgiveness, apologies that are extended and forgiveness that is offered. Friend to friend, brother to brother, husband to wife, parent to child, child to parent. Maybe you're watching this online and you've just been so wounded by people in the church that you've used that as justification to disconnect. You need to go back to your church. Not just this church, whatever church God's put you in. Because the body is designed to be together. Let a man examine himself. Let a woman examine herself. If there's an area of you in you that just says, no, God, I'm just not willing to stop this, to give this up, to extend forgiveness, that is a very big red flag that I would warn you this morning to say, God, change my heart. Let's just take a moment and pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we love you. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he said, if you bring in your gift to the altar and realize that you have a disagreement with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and first go and reconcile with your brother. And then, after that, come and bring your gift. Because God doesn't want us to put the amen of our unwillingness to forgive by giving ourselves permission to do that covered in our spirituality. What Jesus is saying is before you extend worship to me, make things right over here and then come and you'll be able to, your heart will be ready. Maybe that person's not here. Maybe that person isn't even alive right now. Maybe that, but you need to find it in your heart to come to the altar. You can do that from your seat and ask God forgiveness. And ask a worship team to lead us in that song. Jesus is calling. Have
come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. such a powerful reminder of what's taking place. The gospel is communicated in this communion moment. It's a reminder of the great exchange that took place. 
We all, like sheep, have gone astray, every one of us. Born under the wrath of God. The wages of sin is death, the scripture says. We've been guilty. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God provided a way so that you and I can be forgiven, so that you and I can be reconciled back to God. And what communion does is it it causes us to take a moment of pause and to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. How his body was brutally beaten. How his blood was generously shed as a reminder that that's what we deserved. That the wrath of God that Jesus had poured out upon himself was the wrath that was directed towards us that that he took upon himself in our place. We must never forget that Jesus didn't go to the cross because he had to. Jesus went to the cross because we needed him to. And communion reminds me that I'm exchanging my guilt for his innocence. All of my sin, all of my shame, all of my transgressions are Jesus took it upon himself on the cross and he absorbed the full wrath of God. And he exchanged it by giving us his righteousness, his perfection. That right standing that Jesus had has been given to you and I, and now the life of Christ is to be lived out in us. That's why I love that passage. I always bring it back to his Galatians chapter two. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And because Christ is in me, and because Christ the Holy, because God the Holy Spirit is within me, I've got this ability to speak life into the lives of others. And so the cross is a reminder. So Jesus took that bread and he, he broke it. And he said to his disciples, eat this in remembrance of me. In other words, never forget what I've done for you. I took in your place the punishment you deserved. Let's eat together in appreciation for what Jesus has done. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. You see, Jesus shedding his blood and presenting himself as a sacrifice before the Father is what issued in the new covenant by which God the Holy Spirit now resides within those who will place all of their trust in Christ alone for their salvation. And it's what enables us to be influencers for God, to speak life and encouragement and blessing and hope
to the world around us. This potential needs to move from potential to reality. The blood of Jesus Christ ensures that so it can happen. Let's drink in remembrance of him. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us. We recognize that there is nothing we could have done to save ourselves. But you came. You lived. You died. And you rose again so that we can experience newness of life. Lord, may the newness of life that we have experienced be lived out loud towards one another and towards the world around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's look for that one that we might encourage this week.